0: Welcome on board, Oven. Here is my friend, and it's been—I don't know how many years, owen Do I know you for almost like 12?
1: Six. So it's 14 years, actually.
0: Oh my God, ladies and yeah. gentlemen, here is that handsome
1: <laughs> and my
0: one of my best friends, owen Welcome on board. I love that smile. Great to see you. Where are you at the moment?
1: I'm in New York, Yeliz. That's where I live now. So based, I moved here at the start of. 2019 and uh, you know I was welcomed here um, by first of all a broken arm last year and now COVID-19 so wow. um, it's been they really quite a... really want a,
0: you to be there. <laughs> I was just
1: gonna say it's the last time I'm moving anywhere but uh, but yeah, everything's good just in Brooklyn New York at the moment and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Good to hear so you moved there to you're still doing your motivation speaking and also your training companies right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So basically I uh, travel, travel the world outside of COVID times, travel the world, teaching people about working in different organizations, helping them to be able to improve their leadership, help them improve motivation, help them to influence people more effectively, um, help improve communication, you know, high performance. And I also do a lot of talks in those areas. I've also been getting in quite a lot of requests about storytelling, because that's an area of expertise I would have focused a lot of time on. Mm. The stories that we use in business to influence people, the stories we use to ourselves, um, and that whole area is, is becoming more and more popular. So for me as a psychologist, I'm obviously interested in neuroscience and how the brain impacts the choices that we make, the decisions that we, we execute, and also the behaviors that we engage in. And so there's an awful lot that people benefit in the corporate space from all of those insights so i do my best to again travel and keep them as engaged and entertained as possible
0: yes you are i mean every time i see you i know I mean, i've and i've seen you on stage many times and you have spoken to many many people from 7000 going up to what was the biggest number that you were sharing a couple yeah of days no ago? it was
1: yeah it was about six. It says six six to seven thousand people yeah, or so six six and a half i think thousand people you're uh, always uh, up
0: there with amazing content and uh with a lot of good humor which we love and we need that a lot I, especially at times yes. of trouble right now right
1: oh for sure oh for sure humor is humor is the superpower at the moment you know
0: okay so um We have a listener coming on board, which uh, was not supposed to, by the way. Probably I'll be cutting this part of our conversation. Gabriela, hi. She's probably for for the other seminar, but she came a little bit early, almost like one hour. Okay, there she goes off. I'm going to cut this part. Don't worry about it. Amazing goal. So you're in New York, and uh, how did COVID affect you? I know that you've been working on a digital project for a while now on influencing people, right?
1: Yeah, so I I was about to launch the Influence School, which is my online program. And actually, based upon what happened with COVID, I decided to delay it for maybe the best part of a year, because although it was ready to go, I didn't feel right about releasing it at that moment in time when people were struggling. Also, a lot of my work obviously was was rescheduled or was stopped as a result of that, because most of my work is obviously teaching training. So it, it hit my business very, very hard and so um and new york was the epicenter for a while of the of the virus so there was a lot of death here and there was a lot of people that were exposed to the virus and it was pretty uh it was a pretty tough few months Uh, but i adapted to working delivering a lot of webinars which became quite popular teaching companies about working remotely about managing Mm -hmm. virtual teams about motivating people about handling things being more resilient being more what we call anti-fragile And so they became very popular in the last few months in terms of dealing with COVID um, and still are. And so I found myself as busy as ever, thank God, um, as a result of, you know, adapting to the corporate space in that way. Because, again, when you're when you can offer a lot of the skills that we can offer or the mindsets we can offer, then, you know, when crises occur, Mm -hmm. we're in a good position to be able to help a lot of people.
0: I absolutely agree. I was talking to another coach friend of mine a couple of days ago. He said, I think we were trained for these days. (laughs) Like all the things that we've been trained in life was exactly at times just like this. Uh, Because we have the power to find certainty at times of uncertainty. And uh, that's what's needed at the moment. Uh, And I really love uh, that you're working with the corporate world on their stories. Because um, repurposing and then uh, going through their values and creating a new um, story about COVID and how they're going to overcome through this period has been the topic that they've been asking me the most. Like, I always ask them, like, what is a compelling feature for you? So they have to come up with a story. Can you tell us a little bit what do you teach in your uh, influence classes or what do you teach online? with uh, webinars to corporate world, so to have that new story that they feel more empowered?
1: Well, when it's to do with stories, uh, I'm generally talking about a few different types of stories. So there's the marketing stories or sales stories, which are really about, you know, sharing stories with their clients or customers that create a certain feeling that they can associate with their brand. So they tell a story which makes people feel empowered and that's associated with the brand. Or alternatively, there could be the customer story, which is more like the stories of client testimonials or of client case studies. People have used their products or services that have benefited as a result. Or there could also be the origin story, which is the story of how the company was founded or how and why the person came to work for the company that they did. And again, that's powerful from an establishing credibility point of view. But the other type would be around the leadership stories, which is being able to get the organization that you're representing or that you're leading to be able to shift their mindset about what this crisis means for the particular experience that they're going through. So mm. for instance, with COVID, a lot of people are petrified or terrified about the impact that COVID could have, and rightly so, because it's had an enormously, it's made enormously huge dent upon you know the, the corporate arena. And so what we need to do is we need to recognize what is the most useful meaning we give to that. So to me, I try to help people to create more of what we call anti-fragile stories. These are stories of how whatever negative event impacts them, how that negative event can actually make them stronger and grow more as a result. So the concept of anti-fragile was made famous by a, a great writer called Taleb, who talked about the fact that there's no real opposite to the term fragile. There's fragile, there's robust, which is something hard enough not to be impacted. And then there's resilience, which is when you're hurt, you can get back up. But anti-fragile is the idea or the concept that says that when you're hurt, that could actually make you stronger. You can engage in what they call post-traumatic growth. You can emerge from the, the, the negative fire and rise from the adversity in such a way that you become smarter or stronger or better as a result of that. And so the stories that we're trying to get the organizations to build at a leadership level are stories, which get them to be thinking about what are all the ways that this organization can become even better than it was before COVID um, you know, within a few months, how can we take the lessons or learnings of what COVID brought to us and make them useful? For instance, when, when you start working, a lot of my webinars are on working remotely. When you start working remotely, You suddenly realize there's a lot of things that you are spending money on that you realize, well, you don't actually need to spend money on that. It's not as necessary as you think. Mm. And so through that insight, you then realize that you can cut that cost, not just during COVID, but also down the line. So you get a lot of insights about how your business works and why your business works and why your business doesn't work and how it doesn't work. And you get all of those insights whenever you're going through a crisis like this. And you can then use them and invest those learnings, invest those lessons into your organization so that the story that you tell starts with where you were, which is the origin of where you were. And then it becomes a sort of an evolutionary journey or an evolutionary story where you start to map out, well, where are you going from now? You start to move towards an even greater vision because you're pivoting towards the circumstances you now find yourself in. So to me, a lot of the um, positive responses we've been getting for organizations has been because they realize how valuable it is for them to, re- to, to, to extract from, from what experience or crisis they've gone through so many lessons and seeing the advantages and benefits that such a crisis can bring. Because it's so easy to focus in all the ways that it hurts us, not so easy to focus in the ways that help us. But as you mm. tell a new story, You can start to bring your organization forward into a really bright future
0: amazing amazing and how exactly do you help the corporate world to create their own story what i mean with that is because especially when COVID started or when a crisis starts you know like say unconscious mind does not want to see it it wants to deny it and there is a uh, there is um levels of emotions that they go through so what you are offering, what I'm hearing is like, it's almost like in a content and happy place that they can start and start to see good things in, in such a big crisis. How, how do you help them go through the first stages, their emotions? So what,
1: what I do is I, I get them, first of all, to identify the different components. So the, there's different components of a story. So with all stories, there's a hero. The hero is the protagonist, the person that we root for, the person that's going through the event or the story. Then there's the goal that they have, the object of desire, right? Their, um, you know, their uh, ideal um, objective, what they oh, want, yeah. To, yeah. Well, what what they want to achieve. So there's the hero or the protagonist and what they want to achieve. Then there's the challenge or the crisis or the monster, as it's called, which stops them from achieving it. Then there's the guide or the mentor, which helps them to overcome the monster so that they can achieve the goal. And so what happens is once you help people to understand that structure. Then it's simply a case of being able to help them position their organization in that way. So, of course, the organization is the hero, right? And Mm -hmm. the monster in this context would be COVID. And so um, what we're looking at is what is their goal or what is the objective? What is COVID stopping them from achieving? And then the guide is our journey. So what we're doing or what I'm doing when I'm bringing them through this process is help them to be able to gain the insights and gain the plan of what they need to do in order to overcome it. But every story also finishes on a person, a hero, being transformed. So the company, when they go through COVID, is transformed. And therefore, are at an even higher level than before. And they need to recognize and see that. So it's not a case of they've gone back to square one, or they've you know rebalanced everything and everything is back to normal. They're instead seeing themselves at a higher level because we we bring out our best when we're challenged. And so when you're an organization, and I help the organization figure out What is it that their vision is? What do they want? What is the obstacle and how is that manifesting? How is that damaging them? And what resources can they use? What lessons do they need to learn? What are the lessons of COVID and what do they need to do to overcome it? And then once we've done that, then we paint a picture of that perfect future of them having successfully overcome COVID. What does that look like? Um, And how are they stronger and better? How have they grown as a result? And by just bringing people through that process in a sort of a consultative process, it really helps the organization get a real clarity over exactly where they're going and exactly how they can get there.
0: Amazing, amazing. Uh, I was on a webinar with Ford Motors uh, almost like a month ago when everything was, you know, like at the peak. And um, their learning chief executive, she mentioned that the, they're asking three questions to themselves. First of all, they're asking how am I doing right now? And then they're going to their colleague and asking them how are you doing? The third thing was um, Ford executives and chief officers helped them to ask the right questions how they can serve the nation and uh, Jennifer said that Thinking of others more than what we're going through really helps us to feel in a way that we are Wonder Woman or like we are this hero that are gonna go through this very quickly and help other people. That would help them to you know, go through the COVID shock period very, very quickly. In a way, like, just like what you're mentioning, like seeing the good in, in such a bad situation motivates people to think better so they can make better decisions, correct?
1: Yeah, I think one of the beauties of that approach is that it really is something that really helps you become more resilient in general. When you're focusing on what you can do for others, you're less focused on yourself. And it's always easier when we take a position of leadership to be able to help other people rather than helping ourselves. So for instance, if you take a mother with her child, the mother will tend to be much more protective of the child. So if there's a crisis the mother will demonstrate great leadership because the child is there. Whereas if the child is not there and the the mother is on her own or the the mother isn't the mother, just, you know, she's the same age and same situation, she's less likely to to step up to the plate. She's less likely to be as empowered as she would do when she has someone else to protect. There's something Mm -hmm. about learning to, looking to protect other people that brings out a great strength in us and a great resilience in us. So I think that's a, a very good point, I think, when you're focusing. And also, I mean, look, Simon Sinek talks about, the, you know, the importance of why. And yes. really why almost, almost presupposes that you're talking about something which is for the greater good, which in, implies that there's something bigger or greater than you. And so if you can start to focus on what is greater and bigger than you, you know, the big why question that you ask, um, that, that is one of the most powerful drives I think it was Nietzsche that said, you know, he who can find um, a big enough why can endure any how or can find any how or something along it those lines. But, but the, the importance of that idea and that concept is that we can really achieve so much more when we step outside and we're focusing on making a difference to other people.
0: Mm. Why do you think it's like that? I always had this question and I always wanted to ask to a master that knows the <laughs> neuroscience behind it as well. You know, sure. like, Um, it was almost like 10 years ago when you came to Turkey, when you were training a group of people and uh, there you shared with me the science of happiness, which truly changed how I see happiness is. So I I really do wonder why why helps us to, to move or like why that why question, you know, what is it in our soul essence that, Creates action towards a bigger goal.
1: So I think I mean there's multitude of ways to look at it. I think that you know, as you know me, I'm quite scientific and I quite like the practical answers as opposed to the overall spiritual answer. So there's a lot of people that would talk more spiritually about it and go, you know, it's because when you connect to your higher being and you connect to that piece, uh, that part of you, then that makes you a vessel for blah blah blah. And and I'm not disagreeing with that. That's a different perspective the way I would look at it would be twofold. One would be looking at it from an evolutionary point of view. And so we learn to bond with other people because bonding with other people is necessary to our survival. So very early on in in ancient times, we had to become part of a group. We had to meet other people. We had to form bonds with other people. And we developed the capacity to love and the capacity to feel close and build friendships and have family and when we when we're born it's it's implicit it's it's a natural part of us to feel a nurturing response to that so this is something that has evolved in us as human beings since the very earliest days where we arrived on this planet um, now with that need to be able to connect with other people, we care about other people, and therefore um, we we have this desire this compelling need to be able to help others and to to be able to do good for other people. So that's one factor. A second factor is if you look at the emergence of philosophies and religions, um, a massive amount of that is about doing good for other people, whether it's in the, let's say, and it's in every religion, right? So I'm not, you know, it's in the Kabbalah, it's in in the the, uh, Quran, it's it's in the
0: Bible, right? Buddhism as well.
1: In, in Buddhism as well, of course, in in the Catholic faith or in the Christian faith, you would have in the Bible, one of the commandments, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's about emphasizing the importance of that. But similar in philosophy, a lot of the things that let's say Socrates would talk about would be about virtue and virtuous living. And they would talk about, you know, the difference between hedonistic living, which mm-hmm. is one form of happiness and eudaimonic uh, living, which is a different form of happiness. And the first one hedonistic is about pleasure. It's about happiness by getting what we want. You know, we go out there, we have sex, we, uh, we eat foods we love, uh, we, uh, we do things that we enjoy, and that's a pleasure that we get, and that makes us happy. The other type of happiness that most philosophers tended to agree um, was the euda- eudaimonic version, which is mm-hmm. living a virtuous life is the key to happiness. So right back then, they had this philosophy of this. And living a virtuous life didn't just mean, what can I do to make me feel pleasure? It was also about, how can I make other people happy? How can I do the right thing by other people? So that sort of, along with religion, all of those different ideas are very much aligned with making a positive difference to other people and doing the right thing, which then in turn explains why the why, the impact that you make, is so powerful. Then the other one, which is related to the positive psychology stroke, explanation of happiness that I I talked about all those years ago with you is that I, I like to sort of help people understand happiness is really about two different types of happiness. There's the achievement happiness where we achieve something and we're happy. And then there's the contentment happiness, which is that we're happy regardless of whether we achieve it. And so if you look at it, and this is a very rough approximation of what happens, but if you look at the achievement happiness, this is more to do with the chemical in our brain called dopamine, and dopamine is the anticipation of rewards. Dopamine is constantly firing our, our body at different levels. Sometimes it fires a lot and we tend to be very, very motivated. Sometimes it doesn't fire very much and we tend to be demotivated. But it's constantly associated with what we anticipate and what we want to achieve. Whereas um, contentment can be more associated with serotonin, which again, there's lots of serotonin in our system. But serotonin is much more about feeling certain, confident, secure in what we have feeling appreciative of what we have. And the problem is if you've got like just serotonin, that can sometimes negatively impact how much dopamine you have. If you've got like lots of crazy dopamine firing going on, that's gonna affect your serotonin levels. Do you wanna?
0: Yeah, please go in.
1: So so what happens is is that we're looking to be able to adjust the levels that you have in both serotonin and dopamine and, and making it so that you minimize uh, you know any overwhelm that you get from either side in other words you need to create balance that means balancing setting goals for yourself and moving forward and also at the same time balancing being in the moment appreciating what is um you know uh, being grateful for all that you do have experiencing gratitude and so to me that's the trick that most people <coughs> miss because people from a more western <laughs> perspective uh, tend to be much more about um, how how can we achieve what we want are we okay
0: Mm-hmm. We're okay to go.
1: People, people from a Western perspective tend to be about how can we achieve what is it that we want, and people from an Eastern perspective tend to be much more about um, what we can be happy about and feeling that sense of contentment, feeling that sense of appreciation of what's going on. And Amazing. So me, and
0: go, and then, oh, um uh, yeah. quick question: How do we decide that, or when exactly do we decide that? Which way? Um, how do we decide our happiness formula?
1: Well, I think first of all just to finish the answer to the other question then can navigate it in um, because we're driven by motivation it means that we're constantly looking to what might make us you know feel happier in that way what can we achieve and therefore we we need to feel like we have some sort of impact on the world and mm-hmm. that's what motivation drives us to do so a large part of our drive, our deep down drive is the impact we make on the world and how we can impact other people as a result. And the contentment side of things also sort of maps out to that because the, the enjoyment that we get, the things we feel comfortable with, secure about is the fact that we have other people in our life. So therefore, people are definitely, you know, one of the most important aspects of whether or not we're happy and determining whether we're happy. Now, then the next question is, from our point of view, are we um or is it a smart idea for us to be able to pick one or the other the idea is that we really want to be able to only choose one approach which would be whichever works for us but that's not necessarily useful instead what we need to do is create a balance now why do we pick achievement versus this a lot of it's to do with the culture we've grown up in we look out and the tv is constantly telling us or reminding us this is these are all the things you don't have and Mm -hmm. so therefore We become attracted to that formula. So we do certain courses where it's all about motivation, take action, all that sort of stuff. On the flip side, maybe for whatever reasons or circumstances means that we believe the solution to our problem is about staying in the present, about staying in the moment, about meditating. And therefore, we're more likely to be attracted to things like mindfulness and that kind of area. But in reality, both are good. And the problem is, like a lot of things in society, there's an argument on both sides. It's like, no, 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 no you know, motivation, taking action, you know, all of this, this is the right way to go. And then the other people are saying, no, 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 it's about staying in the moment. It's about staying in the present. It's about meditating. And they're arguing over which is the right approach, not realizing that both have their own merits.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Um, So what happens when we face a crisis, like just like the COVID right now, what happens to our uh, neurology or what happens to your, our biochemistry and uh, it takes a lot of time for us to come back to our normal whatever normal is for the uh, for that person
1: well a large part of the neurochemistry that uh changes that occur during a crisis is to do with the chemical called cortisol now cortisol is in our system and it tends to be something that is um it's actually good for us in the short term because it gets our attention. It gets us to pay attention to what's going on. Um, it's related to the, uh, the adrenal glands, which also release adrenaline. But adrenaline is more like you're about to die and this is what's going on. Whereas cortisol is a slow burner. The benefit of the adrenaline is that it, is a sh- it lasts a short amount of time. The problem with cortisol is it lasts a longer period and it can be quite poisonous when we continuously experience it over a long period of time. It's necessary for us to function, but it's quite poisonous. The the other factor is is that it can also have an impact and be affected by our dopamine levels. So that's why whenever we're stressed, uh, the more stressed we are, the more that can actually impact how motivated we feel as a result. And also our dopamine levels can affect what food we choose to eat as well. Because again, if we're eating sugar, that gives us a quick hit of dopamine. And so what happens is we become addicted to different things, which in turn creates more problems with our body, which in turn affects our cortisol levels and it's a cycle. That's why the solution during the crisis from a physical health point of view is to focus on making sure we're eating healthy, making sure we're exercising well, making sure we're resting, we're relaxing, we're treating ourselves to self-care. Because what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're regulating the different chemicals that are in our brain as best we can. And again, this is, I'm giving this sort of a very simplistic explanation of what's actually going on, which is a lot more complex, but most people will agree that there are different ways that dopamine affects us. And they are very much determining how motivated we are. Um, and what we need to do is we need to um, relax ourselves and change our perspective over what's going on. So we minimize the, the amount that our brain thinks it needs to release cortisol which, again, is one of the things that can antagonize um, the the rest of our brain.
0: So what would you say, like, if you you would um, think about a percentage over 100, um, what is the percentage that affects in terms of, like, biochemistry? Like, we're talking about influencing other people, especially at times of crisis. So would you say it's your body language or your chemicals or your focus, like, what is it more? Uh, more? Which part has more power on our influence to be able to influence others?
1: Well, I, I think neurochemistry is is always one hundred percent. I mean, you know, when, when wow. you when you get a person to make a decision, you know, their neurochemistry is going to decide what they decide to, to what decision they decide to make. At the same time, because that's the neuronal firing that's going on. At the same time, your body language affects uh, you know your your brain chemistry. Your um, tone of voice affects it. The words that you choose to use affect it. Even the logic that you use. And so whenever I talk about being more persuasive, there's really three aspects of that. There's you as a person, how persuasive are you? There's the audience, how, what do you know about them and what do they need to hear for them to be persuaded? And then there's the message and how you formulate that. And then there's two aspects of that. There's the logic, the reasoning that you give. So um, this, what I'm saying is true because of A, B and C, I give you my evidence. Or the the other side is the emotion. How do you make them feel like they want to buy in? How do you make them feel good about the idea that you're presenting to them? So by you being able to do those things, that's really the the main, they're made the main elements of persuasion. It's how persuasive are you coming across? Um, What are you you, uh, pressing the right buttons for your audience? And then lastly, are you delivering a message that is both logically and emotionally appealing? If you tick off all those boxes, you're much more likely to get a yes than otherwise.
0: Amazing, amazing. And we are actually living in such a digital world at the moment and we're getting more digitalized. Um, Is it gonna be the same thing when we are giving speeches online or training or influencing other people? Does it affect like being in front of camera or being uh, connected online? How does it affect us?
1: Well, the, the research is still out there, but one of the things we can tell is there's an awful lot of things that are missing whenever we're whenever we're online. So, um, you know, although we can see each other's faces, a lot of cases, um, our body language is different. And also, when, when you're when you're standing in a room, you're much more likely to reveal what's really going on, because that's what we've done all through our life. As soon as Zoom comes on or as soon as Skype comes on or as soon as the video is on, you're you're, you're less expressive. You're more likely to restrict your face simply because you're on camera. And you're mm. aware of that and so and you can also a lot of times see yourself on camera as well whereas if you think about it you never really see your well you never see what yourself you're
0: speaking right yeah
1: exactly so so that's that's a one factor that's significant in presenting which which takes away from the the impact or the uh, influence of it uh, another factor is is that um, we're we're communicating in such a way that people People can stand, uh, for example, as a speaker, I could stand up and, you know, walk up and down the stage and speak to an audience for a few hours without them getting bored, without using slides, for instance. But you can't really do that as well when you're, you know, when you when you're, you're doing webinars, you kind of do need, there's only so long people can stare at your face because, right? you know, they, that emotion creating
0: that emotion and it's all about the stories now we're going back to the stories you must have such a compelling story so they feel what you're trying to share otherwise this like digital world feels like to me like a 2d right now you know (laughs) no
1: no, 100 percent. and also when you're when you're in an environment where you see let's say a speaker you're watching that speaker move upon the stage, there's a, there's a bigger space for you to look at. Therefore, you're not 100% just staring at one person's face, you know? And so what's really imperative is that we we have to adapt to this. So the real question is, how can we maximize the use of the digital forms of communication we have at our disposal? And that means finding ways to be able to engage people or entertain people, finding ways to be able to make more people interact. For instance, with the chat function on Zoom, a lot of times in webinars, I'll be able to get more people reacting and responding because it's very easy for them to simply type something, you know, uh, than it is for them to stand up in an audience and say, excuse me, Owen, I have a question. It's easy for them to type it in. Ah, so, in a, so that's a, a good thing, way,
0: yeah. It
1: is. It, it can provide you with some opportunities as well. So what you need to do is look at what are the things we're, we're gaining? What are the things we're losing? How can we uh, mitigate against those losses and how can we maximize those gains, and when we think like that, it's to me uh, the the most beneficial uh, approach.
0: Yeah, amazing, Owen. thank you very much for all these amazing content. Uh, And you're right, I think the companies in the future, like their training centers, and I've been talking with uh, the the HR department and they're talking about how to digitalize their uh, learning curve, I should say, and they really enjoyed having their training online. Because there, they can sit down, and they don't have to focus on the speaker, less judgment. It really doesn't matter what you're wearing, if you have your PJs or not, you know? So they were more focused, and um, I agree with you. And still, like, being able to give the feeling, like, that passion or that happiness or that motivation when you're speaking to an audience, especially online, I think the key will be the stories just like you said in the beginning so these stories will be the key turning point for that and currently is there like have you launched a digital product yet that you were working on or
1: uh, no next month which is uh as we talk it's july 2020 i'll be launching a um what, what's called the changing minds monthly membership which is an online membership for anyone interested in personal development and that's once a month, I'll be doing a Facebook Live. And there's also access every couple of months to a new online training in different areas, confidence, habits, uh, communication, um, you know, time management, all, all sorts. And then I'm also launching the same month, the Change of Minds Business Membership, which is really a membership. Uh, there's two Zoom calls a, a month. And I teach people how to be able to brand themselves more effectively, how to um, uh, create a podcast, how to you know, write a book. Uh, how to be able to um, create online trainings, how to become a better speaker. So it's all sorts of ways of helping people to share their expertise. They're, they're the two things. And of course, I'm still doing my podcast every week, which is the Changing Minds podcast, mm-hmm. uh, where I do two episodes a week. You've been one of the guests on, which was a Thank great episode early in season two. Yeah. and uh, And that's happening. And then just besides that, I suppose, just working on a bunch of different types of books.
0: Amazing. When is your new book coming? I know that every year you work on one.
1: It's, it's (laughs) well, actually I'm working on three at the moment, so I'm not sure which one will come out.
0: Wow.
1: I'm, I'm like probably three quarters of the way through one, halfway through another and halfway through the other. So um, is it
0: Bandler included again because what, I know what, he loves is, writing with you he loves to what it, co-write for you.
1: <laughs> what, what is with uh, the genius Dr. Richard Bandler co-creator of NLP so myself right. and Richard have worked on a number of books and it's always a delight to work with Richard so yeah one of them is on that which is really exciting um, that's like a it's a it's a re it's it's a it's a rework of um his his very first book The Structure of Magic so we're going back to 1975 to that classic text that started the whole thing and we're yes. transforming it and updating it uh, with new perspectives and insights that Richard's had over the years. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that process and stuff. It's more academic than a lot of the other ones, but some of the insights are really cool. So
0: Amazing. Amazing. We look forward to uh, seeing that. Um, amazing timing too. Great. So last two questions. Tell us what do you love the most in life. Like, what is one thing that you're missing from uh, comparing to being in at home and being in the COVID environment? What do you love? Well,
1: to do? well, what I love to do is uh, I love screenwriting. I mean, that's my favorite. My favorite hobby in the world is writing stories, creating stories, screenwriting. I've written a few short films, won a few awards and stuff for them at small festivals. Um, And I love the whole process of storytelling um, from a screenwriting point of view. So if you ask me, what would I happily do all day, every day, that would be it for sure.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um, Any sports or any hobbies if our viewers would like to get to know you more? I know um, that you're a football fan. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you remember
0: that. that day in Turkey? We were in the middle of Kadikoy, oh, and I was just it was watching uh, football match.
1: When the riots, when the riots happened in uh, in New York recently, um, and they were using tear gas and stuff, I was like, you know, I remember what it's like to be, you know, right in the heart of the 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 riot and getting hit with. If you remember, I got hit with tear gas. Yeah, um, And I, I still remember the feeling of it and I remember what was going on and all the cars on fire and the police cars turned over. Um, so <laughs> it's actually a fond memory, believe it or not. But I've got no, a great the,
0: Yeah, the next day you were like so happy. You're not going to believe what happened. I'm like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it it's, a, it's a very,
0: you enjoyed it. It's a very childish,
1: it. <laughs> very childish thing to be happy with. But in terms of hobbies, I suppose, I, I obviously lo- you know love football. Celtic are my team, Glasgow Celtic um also enjoy watching mma watching ufc and stuff like that definitely like that um uh, snooker is another thing i'm not sure most people would have heard of that but it's kind of similar to pool so i'm actually pretty good at pool um that's one of my skills that i I would be remember that yes (laughs) well you know we can't be good at everything so i end up being good at that one sport um and besides that just you know movies and tv and all that sort of stuff and you know, obviously, the most important thing to me in life is my my family and my friends, you know, my parents, uh, you know, my nieces, uh, my friends, my sister, like, those are the people, those are the reasons, just like we said earlier, um, earlier on, um, that's what makes life worthwhile to me. Wow. And Amazing. friends like you also.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for taking this time. I know that you're very busy and you took the time and thank you very much for this interview, Owen. I look You're forward to seeing you in Turkey.
1: You're very welcome, It's my pleasure. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you again soon.
0: Ah, hey, amazing.